Hey, everybody, I found a great review. I love this. Absolutely amazing. Exclamation point five stars from B. Voss. The whole series has been great, but episode eight on sensuality, sexuality, and deconstruction was absolutely amazing. I sat and thought about so much of it for hours after. I'm going to have to go listen to that one. I know. I was like, what was on episode eight? (laughs) You guys, we so appreciate it when you leave reviews specifically and rate the show. It really helps other people to discover this content. Thanks so much. All right, friends. Where are we headed? Sexual wisdom? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You haven't let us into any episodes yet. But it's not my topic. <laughs> That's two wines in the last like three minutes. It's not my topic. My baby needs it. It's better because you say I'm. I'm so horny. I'm so horny. <laughs> it just really it creates the opposite sensation yeah. of being in the mood. Yeah. It's like immediately. Yeah. That's what I always thought about genuine the pony. Yeah, yeah. If you're horny, let's do it. Ride my pony. <laughs> yeah, but that song is fierce. It's like it's like bow, <laughs> and then like I mean like a that frog song, in the background. I don't know. That song puts me in the mood. Like it's good. Pony by genuine <laughs> sets a tone. That's all I'm gonna say. I thought that was a Richard Kimball singing that song. <laughs> Old Dick Kimball. <laughs> Dr. Dick Kimball. <laughs> oh. So about wisdom. Yeah. From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts. An exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your hosts, Becky Patton, Latifa Alatas, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, and me, Luke Bronner. This is our last episode of the season. Well, well I guess before our penultimate, our pre-last yeah. episode of the season, where we actually bring up a new topic. But Becky, when we were kind of cruising through ideas, you brought up a term that you've been exploring or wanting to explore. Is maybe that a better way to say it? Yeah. And you said sexual wisdom, and I was like, that feels like a good thing to talk about because I do think that there's a lot of people that come out of the purity culture space. Like I was one of these people. Like when I met you over tacos, I had had a few interactions with men and some of them were really fun. And one of them was like confusing, maybe is a good way to say it. And I remember saying to you, like, I feel like an infant in this area of my life because I didn't really like date a lot before my first marriage. And I don't really know how to like have sex wisely or I don't think I use the word wisely, but I think like I wanted to be conscientious yeah, about how I was going to move and shift in the world. And at the time I really believed I never wanted to get married again, but I didn't want to not have sex ever again. And I was pretty adamant. Yeah. You were I, pretty adamant about I was not getting really married adamant again. about not getting married until the moment Lucas was like, I think I'd really like to marry you if you're open to marrying me. And I was like, Oh, this is going to change this. <laughs> <laughs> I have a deep sense. I was very interested in marrying Lucas, just not anyone. And I think what I was really trying to say is like, how do I have sexual wisdom? And I think so when you said that this morning, that was a term that really felt like really fun to explore. 
Because there's a lot of us that are out there and we don't want to cause harm to ourselves or to other people, but we also don't want to just cut sex off in our life or yeah. cut our sexuality or our desire off. I think what happens for me is because I'm constantly reading material and I'm just constantly exploring and learning. And I, one of my books I've been reading recently is The Wisdom of the Body. And so there's this element that the body's actually always trying to teach us something. And how do we actually engage with that? And do we give ourselves permission to respond to that and listen to our body? And I think that we've really clearly established in the Christian culture, we've been taught so much about shutting the body off. The body is not to be trusted. And so we've kind of amputated some of our wisdom from what is a natural teacher to us in how to be a human being. Just if you think about if we're cutting off, we're not going to listen to our body. And I think especially around desire, and we've done those episodes around desire, which I think are really good. But one of the things that I started to think about is like, well, how do we get sexual wisdom? And so I started playing, when I start playing around with a term, I just kind of like, I'll write it on a notepad and I'll just stick it up. And then I just start kind of looking at it. And then I just let it kind of seep into me and just notice. And then it was one time while I was having sex that I was like, oh, I think this is sexual wisdom is being able to listen to another human being, listen to my body and notice what's actually happening. And as is, you know, my partner's very gracious to me, but at, we, so I asked if we could pause and name some of the wisdom. Did you write on sticky notes and then Not stick it on? Listen, <laughs> this, this sounds hot. Yes. Post it foreplay. Post it foreplay. Hey, I know we're in the middle of something, but <laughs> it's not you. quite like that. But it's but there was this moment where I realized, oh, we have a lot of sexual wisdom that we've learned from the process of actually being in sex. And not that I would ever share like the details of that, but I think there is something of how do we impart sexual wisdom to younger generations? How do we impart sexual wisdom to people that are in struggling places? And so it's been something I've been playing around with for about six months. The word is what I've been playing around with because I'm curious, like I just have never heard it before. And I'm curious what I, so I, brought it here because I thought, well, let's just, what if we explore it and kind of expand and kind of name what that might look like or wrestle with it and see if there's something here. I love that because I think when I think about maybe the beginning of purity culture, it was probably a bunch of adults getting around and saying like, how do we protect our kids or how to like, how do we give them like a roadmap? And I'm sure in their minds, they were like, this is wisdom, you know, but it, I just think it needs to be rewritten. So that's why I like, I like this idea. But in that, I want to say, okay, so that is interesting. I had not even connected purity culture wisdom to any of this of them. I'm of, not saying that purity culture is wise, but, right. you see, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm but I hear what you're saying intent. that they were probably, they're probably a group. They're probably thinking this is wisdom, you know? Well, and I think my first question is like, what is wisdom? That's a great question. I just keep thinking about how to me, wisdom is what comes through experience and you can know something intellectually, but until you've experienced it, you don't embody it in the same way. I like that language. And so when I think about sexual wisdom and in the context of what you just threw out, Latifah, about purity culture, it's like how do you have – you can have sexual knowledge that's been given to you, but so much of purity culture 
removed sexual wisdom because it removed exploration. It removed mm. the opportunity to have experience so that so many of us are now midlife. Having experiences for the first time. Right. Yeah. And then going like, oh, here's here. So I feel personally so much more wise than I did, you know, and, and that's a spectrum of things too. But, but I don't know, I just think I've been reflecting on that a lot lately of like, you don't know until you've experienced you experience it. You can explain it so many, even like birth, you can explain it so many different ways right. until you experience it. And then, but it's and it's so personal too. Like I can have an experience that you will have your own beautiful experience of that. You know, in the same way with sexual intimacy too. So that's what came to mind for me. I do want to make sure that we're like explicit in saying that doesn't mean the more sex you have, the more sexually <laughs> wise you will be. No, I think that's a very good... I mean, really. No, though, I think like, that's really, I think I th there's a lot of people who have a lot of sex and have no sexual wisdom. Yeah, I, that's a good call. I think that's insightful. That's mm -hmm. Well, and I want to say where this term kind of came up from, because I was reading The Wisdom of the Body, but it was one of my clients who was actually in... He's a gay man, and he was in the process of... He's in relationships, and he was watching this show called Heartstopper, I don't know if anybody's seen it on Netflix, but it's mm -hmm. about a junior high. It's this boys' school and these gay boys in junior high, senior high. I'm not sure how old. I think it's eighth grade. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is anymore. But they are having these experiences of their sexuality coming alive, and they're they're gay, and they're experiencing something together of exploration. Mm -hmm. And what his comment to me was is he says, I because he had to hide, and he was a literally running for his life. Mm. And if he was a fugitive and trying to find a place of refuge mm. for his sexuality. And what happened is as he was talking about this, he says, I want to be wise in how I use my sexuality, not just feel like I miss something and I have to go back and experience that now because I miss that exploration. I don't want to carry forward my puberty learning into my adult learning. And he says, how do I carry my body in a wise way? Mm. So we've been using the terminology of saying, what does sexual wisdom look like here? What is, and I want to say, I think one, he's an incredibly mature human being to be able to recognize and grieve. That's what we've been talking about, grieving what he lost out on and acknowledging that and seeing that. And this show is bringing such delight to him and in his community, what they're finding, but the language that he is hearing come forth is, Oh, I miss that. I need to recapture that. And it's like, I can't, I can, we can never go back. And so how do I hold what I lost in a way, but not repeat that as now in his thirties, like he doesn't want to do that. And mm -hmm. I was, I just think that's such wisdom, but yet there's a part of him that wants to feel that sense of exploration. Yeah. He sounds like a wise person. I'm just saying like to even have the frame of mind when I got divorced, I was like, I need to have some experiences and not like it's in the most cavalier way, but I definitely think I was like having some adolescent experiences as a person in her middle thirties, trying to flush out what I thought about sex. And Ashley, you've talked about this in the past too, but like, I definitely had a couple interactions where I would not do those again, you know? And I have the foresight now as an adult to say, I'm not going to do that again. You know what I mean? But I could have been spared those. It's okay. Mm -hmm. They weren't traumatic. It was just like, right. okay, I didn't have to. So I'm just, he sounds really wise, this person. I think he is. But part of it is it's the wisdom to be able to even know I mean, somebody like, it's okay to grieve those places that we missed out on. Yeah. 
And I think that's huge for the purity culture because I hear that over and over again. I married the first person I had sex with because I felt like I had to. Yep. And I'm like, oh, okay. And now they're, you know, mortgage and three kids and like, would I have married them? And so I think there's a lot of being able to grieve something. And I think there's wisdom in that. But how do I then live something with authenticity too? So I'm loving all this. I'm writing down some of these different phrases that you guys are using. So I love it. Sexual Tommy Lee Jones. Is that on the list? Sexual Tommy Lee Jones. I think I'm going to use that in, yeah. In, with I was reasons. thinking of t-shirts of <laughs> anyway. Yeah. For me, I think wisdom, a couple of different pictures or images come to mind, but you know, wisdom in a sense is just the process of being aware and expanding and learning through experiences, you know, and thinking about purity culture, have you guys ever heard someone say something like, you know, with purity culture, you weren't supposed to have sex. But then when I did have sex, I just, I was ruined anyway. So I just oh, yeah. had a lot, a lot of yes. sex. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's an unwise perspective. It's like, like a reaction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it also, that's absolutely consistent with the philosophy of purity culture. Right. Like if you're going to throw it out, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. but wisdom sort of pauses and says, wait a minute, what's reality? And what does my intuition say? And there's a deep knowing like people that are wise have a deep knowing and also probably a deep sense of knowing what they don't know. <laughs> you know, that's also wisdom. The other picture that comes to me is going from the process of imagine a page and imagine that page filled with words. You know, that's how you kind of start with anything. You learn a bunch of stuff, you do a bunch of stuff, but then as your life goes on and you, you take that page and then you erase some words and you whittle it down. And so a wisdom seems to me like just a big page with lots of white space mm. and just a few words, mm. just, just, just a few, you know, less description, less it's this, it's that it's not this, it's not, not superfluous. That. Yeah. It's more essential. Like what mm. are, what are the essential experiences or values or, you know, and so from a sexual perspective, like what does it mean to be essential. That's really interesting. I, one of the things that comes to mind for me when I think about my story is I had to really address my own relationship to myself and my own sexuality and my own desire in order for me to come meet somebody else in that space, not from a place of like deficit, but a place of my own exploration. And I, I don't even want to say wholeness because I, I think that would be foolish to say like, but like doing my own work. And when I think about, I only, I said I had two interactions with two different guys and they're, they're different. And one wasn't even like intercourse, but it was like a sexual experience. Like I think what, one of the things I observed in myself and one of them, I actually had a really beautiful conversation with him afterwards, which was really cool. Like a couple days later is I observed that I said, I really feel like we were sort of like using each other to get our rocks off kind of like to have an experience and we have a friendship. So it wasn't just like a stranger and there was verbal consent and like all those things, but I just didn't like feel fulfilled afterwards. Like I didn't feel connected to you. I just felt like this event happened, but I didn't have like the same kind of euphoria afterwards, you know, of when I've like connected with somebody I'm really into, you know, 
like crushing on and like enjoying as a person and just like craving to know, you know, and feeling like ignited and being made alive by them. To me, it just more felt like God, we're both, you know, feeling frisky and like, should we try this? You know, like kind of thing. And the conversation was really sweet. I was just like, I think I learned in this interaction that like, I don't want to be intimate with somebody unless that's kind of happening on some level, you know? And, and to me, cause it's like, I was coming with a deficit of, you know, feeling like sexually just like frustrated and wanting to have an experience as opposed to coming into something that was already growing and building, you know? And it just made it feel not necessarily bad, but just sort of nondescript almost, you know, empty maybe is a good way to say it. And I was so glad that he was willing to talk with me about it. I mean, he's a great guy, you know? So I guess maybe one part of the essential for me, when I think about like my body and my experience is that I want to come into something. Like I want to make something with somebody as opposed to just serving myself, you know? I want to create something with someone. I think the next part of wisdom or a congruent part of wisdom then is also in any wisdom is, is understanding the way your actions affect other people. And so with sexual wisdom, it's like having the experience of enough experience to know, like there are ways in which my actions will affect this person for good or for bad or for not. And part of wisdom is being willing to listen to that part of yourself, to think outside of just what you desire, to think outside of I'm, I'm trying so hard not to say me so horny, but uh, I'm actually uh, to say it in that too. I almost did when you I said was, frisky. I, was I know, like, but I was like, do so I make horny? it a comedy moment or yeah. an earnest moment? Yeah. Yeah. I always go for the comedy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think part of spiritual wisdom has to be understanding the effect that the impact that your actions will have again, removed from your intentions yeah. and really thinking for the good of other people, especially the person with whom you're, you're sharing something that should yeah. be so intimate. Yeah. That's good, Luke. I was thinking back to, Steve, what you said about the word reflection. Parker Palmer has a line of, I think it's in Let Your Life Speak, but it's about how like, something about life well lived. Like part of living the human experience is pausing and reflecting on life so you can like choose where you go from Mm -hmm. there. And I Mm -hmm. think that's such a huge part of wisdom is like, there's so many experiences I went through but didn't necessarily reflect on, you know, or then I did and that's where those shifts happened. And the other thing I want to say that as I'm thinking back to those early experiences, the transitional experiences, I'll call them. I like that. I like that. (laughs) The bridge between was really realizing how low self-worth I had. Oh, wow. And so much of what I was entering into in relationship was trying to fill that and doing so many things for, because I hear what you're saying too, Luke, but I, I feel like where I was at at that point was doing things for someone else because that's what I was taught sexual experience was supposed to be. It's for the man. It's not, it's not for you. It's in service of like, ugh, even saying that's just, but that was a narrative I had to like unpack and at the same time learn that to have sexual wisdom isn't just the experience of sex, but it's the knowing yourself and knowing your own value and what you bring to an experience. Not even just bring to it, like just the way you are in the world, you know, that you have worth. And I think one thing that's been really interesting in my own journey of healing, I've had some really beautiful conversations lately with my own mom about her story in life and the struggle of her own worthiness. 
And it was this beautiful moment of humanity for me of like, oh, this is part of the generational shift that I want to make is to believe in my own worthiness so that I can, that my daughter will know that she is worthy. But that's, that's still a daily, that's a daily thing. You know, I'm worthy of stating my needs. I'm worthy of asking for care. Like, you know, it's, it's not always an, and I say that like in a, that's not in the bedroom. That's just in the day to day. Like, this is what I need to make sure that I'm taking care of myself and can show up for the people in my life. So I think there's even just that basic level of knowing yourself is part of that sexual wisdom. Hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh, this is all so rich. You're really filling out my post-it here. (laughs) (laughs) But in what I hear you, I love that reflection and, and the posture of experiencing, pausing, reflecting, even what you did, Latifah, after that experience with mm-hmm. the friend, you know, you, you said, but you wouldn't have known unless I tried, unless you tried. So it's not about avoiding experiences that end up being less than, right? It, you know, we're, we're going to have all those experiences that are less than, but if we can in any, in every area of life, but if we can yeah. stop and say, why did that feel not satisfying or why did that feel satisfying what were the ingredients not to you won't always know you know but like pausing to notice what just happened and Mm -hmm. and what it what it elicited in you and what you want to bring forward you know through that for the rest of your life seems to me to be a wise way of living you know take the time to do those things (laughs) And your body will tell you a lot about, if you pay attention, about what's going right and what's going not so right. Well, it just leads me into that conversation or the thought process and the conversation I'm having in my mind right now. It's like, how do we impart to kids something beyond purity movement? Mm. Impart to them something that they carry, they carry a wisdom of the body and like, what if we actually use language with kids of like, ah, oh, that sounds like some sexual wisdom you learned there. Mm. So what would it be like for you to add to your sexual wisdom? Like to the library or? Yeah, to yeah. add to that. Port- I always say everyone has a sexual portfolio. And like, what do we want to add to our sexual portfolio so that we're more aware, we're more engaged, we're more able to pause, we're able to reflect. And I mean, I'm thinking of young kids, you know, their hormones running crazy and wild and, you know, they're... In, uh, just such a tumultuous state, right? You know, when they're developing in adolescence and the last thing they have really active or breaks, <laughs> you know, they just don't. But if we have a language with them or we're, we're talking about their, you know, that sounds like that was really, that was wise what you chose, you know, about doing your homework, you know, versus playing that video game. That was a wise thing or something. I mean, I'm just, I'm not in that parenting stage right now, but I'm just wondering if we could awaken within them, even just listening with their bodies, listening, knowing that what they, what they choose impacts another human being, you know, and just giving them some language around sexual wisdom. I don't know, maybe I'm off base, but I just versus don't, this is going to destroy instead of just no, no, no. Yeah. Because I would much rather, I mean, every time I've ever gone in and spoken to a youth group, it was always, I always tell people, I start out with saying sex is good. Sex is great. It's mm-hmm. so fun. Yeah. And it's, and, and I, I watch the parents in the back are going, Oh no, <laughs> cut it off. No, 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 you can't do that. And I'm like, 
No, I'm going to be honest with you. Instead of sex is dangerous. Yeah, that, I don't yeah. want that because that was my orientation. And I just think that they have too many things culturally that are telling them different. So That's really good. Can we be honest with them? I think about just, there was language in a book that I've read, How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicola Perra, but she talks about parenting as being wise guides along the oh, way, yeah. you know? And I just want to share an experience I had this morning. I was kind of peeking in on, and you were on the FaceTiming with your daughter. And I was taking a picture of my daughter and husband over your shoulder. Oh, you were? <laughs> I, I didn't was. Know that. <laughs> and she wasn't just eavesdropping. <laughs> right. No. So I was trying to get this moment. And then I was listening and she's sharing all these different things. And I hear Rick say, it sounds like you're making a lot of good choices. Ugh. And then I went and I had a moment of meditation. And those words rose up for me because I just, as I've, a lot of you know around this table, I spent the la- a couple of weeks with my parents while we were prepping our house. And I'm sharing all these things with my dad about what we're doing and all the intention and all these things. And God, if my dad could only say, it sounds like you're making a lot of good choices. Oh, that would be so nice. And so I think about what you're saying is it can be sometimes as simple as creating that space and naming the, look at what you've just discovered here. And it's how much kids learn from modeling. I mean, that's, that's, that's it, you know? And so I think in so many ways, how much can you sit with and say, can we create a safe space so they can share these things that are coming to them, which is work in and of itself, and then to not bring shame and judgment in, but questions, you know, and then naming like, oh, this is good. What you're doing and exploring is good. You know, like that, that would be just such a different experience to have. So I can't believe I'm going to say this, but you know, in the Bible, (laughs) I was just thinking like the, it's not just like self-congratulatory, but like maybe it's the repetition of pointing out what is good. Like this was created and it was good and this was created and it was good and this was created and it was good. And I, 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 that's what came yeah. to mind. Like the idea of like the reinforcement and, you know, psychologically mm. we do know that like something negative, like can stick to us like glue mm-hmm. and the positivity, like the positive things, the encouragement kind of can slide off like Teflon. And we need like a certain amount of larger percentage. And I can't remember right now, a positive reinforcement to hold the same amount of weight as like a one negative reinforcement, right? And so the repetition of what is good feels essential, honestly, yeah. as, you, as you're bringing it up and you're talking about it as, you know, people raise children, as people re-raise themselves, because that happens a lot in our adult lives. Or just in relationship to a partner. Yes. And like telling them, that's like really good. Like I love... I love witnessing all the amazing good things that Lucas does. And I, I'm just a really verbal person too. Yeah. You never shut up about how great <laughs> Lucas is. But like, we're wondering how you feel like, baby, he's doing such a great job on this. I mean, he, he really is like, he does a great job on a lot of things. Do you um, like when he plays bass? Oh my gosh. Do I? <laughs> Anything like organ, percussion. That's really. I thought you were going to say orgasm. <laughs> orgasm. Yeah. That's who. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say no, but, but yeah, I, I, I was asking myself, like, what's another essential, like Latifa, what was like, what's a good thing? Like if I was telling myself Mm. like, this is good, I think I've learned in regards to sexual wisdom that somebody who does not give me healthy, emotional support, awareness, and care cannot also give me healthy awareness, care in the realm of sexuality. And I learned that the hard way and the long way. And I learned it after my marriage too, that I was continually connecting to guys 
that really couldn't meet my emotional needs, no matter how good they were or what they were doing. I'm not saying they were bad. I just... Can you state the essential again? Yeah. The essential for me is that I need, if I want to be having a sexually wise and like ignited good life, that I also need to be aware that that needs to be happening in our emotional relationship as well as a sexual relationship. And that if I'm not getting served well in the emotional relationship, the assumption that the sexual relationship will be good is a misfire. Like it won't happen for me. And I think like it's all intrinsically connected that like, if we're going to care for somebody in a sexual way, we'll probably be caring for them in a whole way, like not just one area of our relationship. And I will say that is something that has been a huge difference in my partnership with Lucas is that I'm getting so much emotional support and care, intellectual support and care, friendship. It's a full experience and it's the best sex I've ever had in my life because of how connected we are in all these other places. And it's awesome. And I just, I didn't know till I experienced it, you know? And for me, I realized that like, that's the way that I most enjoy sex is when I'm feeling connected in all those other places. This is where I think it's so important as we're raising kids. And I'm saying this as someone that's, I feel like just like at the starting line of this whole trajectory, but to create space for emotion and teaching how emotional language of emotion you're feeling, like helping kids understand you're feeling frustrated. You're feeling this, this is okay. Like it's okay to have space for emotion because so much of the previous generation and how we were raised is like to keep emotion down in a way and you can't cry, you can't do these different things. And I think about, to me, to be honest, like what I've really missed from my, my own dad is emotional connection. Mm -hmm. So that's what I looked for. Me too. In all the guys. I remember as you're talking, I'm like, I can remember sitting in my therapist's office and him saying, you're attracted to emotionally unavailable men. And I was like, like mic drop moment. And it was so true. (sighs) And so again, with that awareness and then becoming more aware and just to see that with, with Alan of like, oh, when there's space for that, the safety of that is a completely different experience, mm-hmm. you know? But I think like we have to allow space, particularly I think for little boys, because it's so many ways, like we allow girl, I mean, we can get into all that, but they have space for emotion, and it starts when you're young. So you can have that language and have that space. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said earlier about camera was on mic or off mic, but Lucas being raised in a more matriarchal family. On one side. On yeah. one side. Yeah. yeah. But he just, loves and respects women. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's just something. He has an amazing language. You know, like he was given that gift. And I think that's not true for every guy. You know, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to gender binary in that, but just as an example. So when we actually suppress emotion, what happens, and especially in boys, a lot of times emotions have been, and I know this is, this is a gender binary thing and I'm going to be careful with that, but we tend to suppress in boys emotion, period, and any emotion that shows up exuberant or things like that. And when that happens, when they grow up into adults, a lot of times that comes out as anger and then it's suddenly they've got an anger issue. And I would say that I don't think anger is an issue. I don't think anger is a bad emotion. Anger is just an emotion that says something I care about feels threatened. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And so I think it's really important to recognize and give space at the table for anger because anger is there for a reason. We don't start at anger. We start, we're disappointed in something. We're frustrated. We're sad. We're sad. We can feel not heard. There's so many different things that we can be feeling. And then the, the emotion that finally, and especially if you've been taught to stuff, 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 then it comes out in anger. We don't start at anger, but anger is just an emotion. Mm. And I want to say anger is directly related to something that we are passionate about. One thing too that just reminds me of is Brene Brown's latest book is Atlas of the Heart. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Oh my gosh, that this. is one of the most beautiful books I've ever seen in my whole life. It's literally like, it it's feels a work like of a, art. Yes. And it feels like, like every person should have this manual of life, but it's literally like they've done like years of research and it's like, basically here's 87 or 89 different emotions. And then like going through and like the difference between disappointment and frustration and all these different things, but to create language around that. And, I, and images. Yes. They've got, she's got images with, yeah. I mean, I, I love this book. Yeah. I absolutely love this book. And it's one that Alan and I started reading together and then pauses. We'll hopefully go back to it. But she also has, I think on HBO Max just came out with like a five part series with it. But I just think like the more that you can have language for things and the more you can actually have reparative and healthy and deeper conversation. Mm -hmm. So just as a resource, I think it's, it's a great place to go because not a lot of us were given that besides like a couple sad, angry, mm -hmm. you know, happy, but going into like the deeper realms of emotion. So following one of our earlier episodes this season off mic, I used the illustration for repression of it's like we're holding a lid on a pot and turning up the heat beneath it and expecting the water not to boil over. And I think when we're talking about the experience of, and I don't think it is just little boys, actually, I think a lot of little boys who were raised to suppress emotion or suppress all emotion other than anger become dads who teach their kids to do that. Their kids of all genders. Like I know plenty of, mm -hmm. of women who also only really know how to express emotion through anger. But I think that's part of it. I think that like, that's how I'm over the course of this season been, been thinking about repression. And, and I think it's especially true with what you just said, Ashley, about the experience of being taught to hide emotion such that anger is the only way, you know, basically it just finally boils over. You get to a place of feeling overwhelmed. You get to a place of feeling desperate to express something and it's just going to come out as rage. It's going to come out as deep, deep, wild frustration. I mean, I've had that experience plenty of times and I'm not like a super angry person, you know, but yeah, that's the illustration that comes to mind for me is the pot that's boiling over with the lid on it. You know, no matter how tight you hold that lid, you can't stop the water from boiling over. Becky, do you remember a couple of weeks ago? Of course you do. But Rick and you and me and Mary were talking and then I got so angry about something and it wasn't, yeah. I wasn't angry at anyone in the room or, but man, I just, and then Mary noticed that I was kind of trying to wrap it up too soon. And she has just been learning the importance of letting the anger or whatever the, the emotion that you're feeling go all the way through or else your body kind of traps it as trauma, yep. mm -hmm. you know? And then we didn't really have time to talk about that much anymore, but does anyone around the table know that some of that science about like the anger and, and what happens if you don't. It, so anyways, she stopped me at one point and said, I think you need to 
because I was sort of apologizing for being angry and I was trying to, I don't know. It was what something I, we had brought up Yeah, yeah and yeah. it was, and so therefore your anger was coming out and you were trying to apologize because you said, I'm not angry at you guys. And it was like, and I, we were like, no, but you're angry at something yeah, here. Yeah, and Mary yeah. asked this beautiful question. She said, I don't think you're angry at Rick and Becky, but I do believe you're angry at something. Yeah. So let's oh, get wow. at what you're Can angry at. Can we get at? to what you're actually angry at? Mm-hmm. And it was, so we made space for mm-hmm. it. And what happened is, and I'm, I'm going to use this illustration, the word emotion, if you cover up the E, it's what? Motion. It's motion, right? We have to, the body has to be able to process and move the emotion through, through. or what the body does is it actually captures it. And what it does is it will literally hide in our cells. Yeah, yeah. Which causes our cells to be dis at ease, which is what's the word for disease? So I want to say literally trapped and unprocessed anger emotion of any kind is going to cause discomfort to our bodies. Mm-hmm. And it creates these holding patterns. But what I thought was so beautiful in that moment, I love that illustration that's really vulnerable of you, but there was this, you literally had to get up from the chair. Do you remember? You got it from the chair and you're like, and we were like, yeah, get it out. And he was literally, your hands were trembling. You were trembling. You were so angry and you were able to identify what you were actually angry at. And it was like, Oh, there you are. All of you. Yeah. And then you just, there was an ease to your body that you moved back into your body. But it was literally trembling and shaking. Yeah. And see, I think the, the wisdom piece has to exist first, though. Like, so how did you mm-hmm. identify what that... It's the wisdom piece that allowed you to identify what am I actually angry about, mm-hmm. even if that was with external help. Like, I, that's the part I really want to well, explore and, if And we the can. wisdom is like not pushing it down, but letting it through. Mm-hmm. It's not just the identifying. It's, it's letting it through. Like we know that tremors and chattering is trauma trying to leave the body physically. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of science in that. But I do think there's a wisdom. What you're, I think what I hear you getting at is like, how's the wisdom that you knew that it was okay? Like there was something else going on for him. Like it was obviously wise of Mary to be like, I do think you're angry at something. Let's get to the heart of it. And for you, <laughs> let's get, let's get into that scrotum. And mm. I think, but mm. for you to be able to like go with that mm-hmm. and not continue to repress or not continue to stifle and not just be like, no, we'll talk about it later, whatever. Like mm-hmm. there was a journey that you went on at that point to mm-hmm. identify, to say like, okay, what, what is it? What am I feeling? Mm-hmm. And I think it would be really helpful for me to know how to do that, to, to yeah. know how you do that. Well, I want to tell the story of what I was angry about briefly, because I think that'll... So I I used to be a part of a denomination that was not open and affirming. We all know that. I've said that before. But there was a moment, the the same weekend that I was ordained and that our church was joining the, the denomination, there was a moment at one of the annual meeting, at the annual meeting, a thousand people in the room, and we were voting on the agenda of the meeting. I mean, it's so boring, but... Someone said, can we add to the agenda, please? Can we just talk about forming a task force that would help us find a way forward with LGBTQIA issues in our denomination? Because we're really stuck. Can we just add that to the agenda? So not a decision to do anything. Just can we add that to the agenda to talk about? A thousand people in the room. The moderator, we had these little electronic devices where we could vote that way. But for what? seems like obvious votes. The moderator will just ask for a vocal yay or nay. Okay. 
So he brought this one to a vocal yay or nay. You know, who is in favor of adding this topic to the agenda? And then there was a really vocal yes. And then who is not, a, who is not in favor? And I mean, the no, the anger and the loud no that came out was so traumatic to me. Because again, I'm joining this denomination and, <laughs> and I knew, you know, kind of where they were, but the history of our denomination is we've always found a way, a third way through things. So, you know, like, so I thought that's what we would do in, in this one. And what was brought up triggered that memory for me and where I had to keep talking to get to the point where I was mad and deeply hurt actually that I in the same moment that I was like doing ordination vows and putting on my stole and really like signing up with a group, my conscience was shattered. Like, oh. how can I possibly say yes? And it, the ordination was going to happen then like two days later and I'd worked so hard for it. So I was mad that I was forced to, <laughs> I wasn't forced. I chose it to join s something or I was, I was mad that I, chose it anyway. It felt like such a contradiction of my beliefs. And that's what, so I just had to keep talking, you know, but I had, I wouldn't have gotten there on my own, Luke. I had to have wise friends say, keep going, keep going, keep going. Hmm. Um, and I just had to keep getting underneath, you know, what I thought I was mad about. Cause what I thought I was mad about, and I was actually mad about this other thing that I won't share, but like mm. that, that was just the, the gateway, sure. you know, <laughs> into what I was really upset about. But I think that's one of the things about wisdom is do we notice the gateways? I love that language mm. that invite us to go down deeper. Yeah. Because you guys, that's actually what wisdom is too. And if I think there's a wisdom partnership in what we've learned, there's a wisdom partnership from everything that we're talking about. There's a wisdom partnership, what we've learned. So there's experience involved. There's a wisdom partnership in what we know that we know that is a part of our body, that that's inherently that we've been given. I believe we're all, there's wisdom in every human being. There has to be. And then I, this other thing, this statement that you said, the embodying, I'm just taking from different, everybody's words, what you said, but the embodying of the process of being aware and learning that every action we take involves another hmm. and it's essential in order to create something good with someone else. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, I don't know. I'm just really, I like this terminology, the wisdom of sexuality, but I think it's going to spill over it's or the wisdom in our other parts of our life spill into mm -hmm the wisdom in our sexuality, but the wisdom in sexuality, can it spill out into other portions of our life too? The word attunement keeps coming up to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. When, I, me too. when I'm thinking about like your example, Steve, and how Mary and Becky and Rick showed up to and like just mm -hmm. attuned to your need and they how did. beautifully Mary, I mean, and to experience Mary is just, I mean, safe space. Just, yeah. I just so love that story. And and that's part of like, I think the modeling with children too is like attunement is like one of the very first and most important things like kids need is to be seen and known in that space. And so I just, I think that's a, a tenant in there too. I would 
it might be implied and I might've missed it. But the other thing I would add is like the attunement to self, yes. the awareness to self, yes. as well as the attunement to others. And what you just said, Ashley, reflecting back to me about the experience that I had with Rick and Becky and Mary, a, a bunch of things went through my mind, but I, I was like, yeah, I don't think I was attuned to very well by my own parents. And that what happened in that conversation was a reparenting. You know, you can see things like that. Like, your parents aren't the only people that get to parent you. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got to be a mama bear. <laughs> yeah. Even I got to as, be a mama bear. <laughs> even as an adult, you know, like look at yourself as I, Oh, what a gift. I was, I was parented well in that moment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's great to look at it that way. Why wouldn't I, you know, that is really sweet. I love that. I'm just having the image of you when, it, when Mary first said, you know, she, she invited you into more. Steve did this. He just bolted away from her. You just, you, yeah. He bolted away and out of the chair. And he's like, he was in the love seat. It was hard to get out of it, but he just like literally bolted and turned away from her and kind of like, don't touch me. Don't do that. But Mary just so yeah. knew yeah. that's mm. okay. Good. We're, we've, we're, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> it's part and of it. Didn't go away from it. So I, I think, yeah, that was just, thank you, Steve, for sharing that. You're welcome. Cause it was a, it was a good, but I want can I say this about that too? There's a wisdom I learned in that because there was this moment where your anger was coming out hot and heavy. And I just knew this isn't about me. This isn't about what I share. Cause we were the ones who brought up something and shared it. And I just kept looking at my friend and going, there's pain here. What is that pain? Yeah. And that was wisdom learning for me as well. Could I stay in my own seat and let you have your experience? And you know, thank you. Yeah. I mean, how awesome. There's a lot of stuff happening in that moment. What I'm realizing now too, is that one of the things that I was implicitly taught was that no one was going to create space for my emotions Mm. in my family. And it's also, and it's not really okay to have them. And certainly no one is going to pause and try to cultivate more expression of emotion. And so that was probably part of my even turning away from Mary, like, oh, you know, because <laughs> when it gets that close to something that you have a lot of pain about, typically we, you know, we react like we don't want it, you know, it feels too, too hot, you know. And you too... had to be okay with taking up space. Exactly. That, that's what I'm hearing. Yes. It's like the fact that you were apologizing. Yes. They say, like, I don't want to take up space. Yes. This isn't you. Yes. But then they were giving you permission to take up space. Yes. And then you had to give yourself permission to take up space. Thank you, Latifah. And all that was very difficult, actually. Yeah. It's not easy to break those rules that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something I've been reflecting a lot on as life has shifted so much and I'm no longer, particularly like no longer pursuing a career in this moment, like I'm staying at home and different things and how that reflects on my self-worth and all this looking back over the last several many years of my life and how much energy I've put towards healing work is how deeply valuable that is, but we don't acknowledge that culturally necessarily. And there was this woman on Instagram that it's babies and brains is her handle. And she focuses on infant mental health zero to five and has a lot about attunement and beautiful things. But she said this just, she articulated this so well, and it's people use educational and career success as a measure of how okay they turned out because that is what is programmed into many of us since early childhood. Our performance is what determines our worth. What really indicates how okay we are is how safe we feel with our own emotions, our level of self-worth, and how we function in relationship with others. 
And I just think of how foundational those last tenants are and what we're talking mm-hmm. about here of like, see if, you know, like later in life to have that space and how we're still like learning mm-hmm. that. And so I just think this work affects generations in yeah. so many ways. So if we can be attuned and create space for ourselves, how do we do that with our kids? And hopefully they won't have to sit around and have a podcast like this. It'll be a different sort of topic yeah, that they'll be, be unraveling. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> different. Right. Yeah. All the times my mom told me I was going to be in therapy. <laughs> That's the show. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now, here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. It's funny how much identity is a part of like our cultural values today. Just the freedom to be fluid, the freedom to be on a spectrum and moving on that spectrum at all times to figure out like identity is maybe a little bit of a myth like there's some benefit I think to identifying as this or that but there's also benefit in in the freedom to be different things to be multifaceted to be evolving and changing and growing and it's it would almost be scary to not to not be that you know